friends, welcome to We're Going There. Today, I get to introduce you to a new friend for you guys to meet, an old friend for me. This is the wizard behind the curtain. This is the cheese to my enchilada. This is the master blaster, not from Lancaster, the big kahuna who makes We're Going There happen. Can everyone please get ready to meet producer Mari. Mari, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Bianca, for having me. It's it's an honor. I love being here. Okay, so people don't know this yet, but I'm I decided and I told you last week that we we're gonna do a bonus episode, just me and you, because your story, I mean, people need to know. Girl, you are first of all, you are Puerto Rican, Borinqua. So like uh -huh, clearly I liked you. I liked you from the beginning. Uh, but what people don't know is there literally would be no podcast without you. So I just want to say that I love you and I'm grateful for you. So grateful for you. And one of the things that we were, we were dreaming up about season two and being on the That Sounds Fun Network, you have been here since day one for the podcast. And we both have this love-hate relationship with finances and- mm -hmm. You and I are very familiar with Dave Ramsey and his daughter, Rachel Cruz. And I was just like, you know what? Pause this. We're going to put a pin in this because people need to know how we feel about finances and how we feel about the guests on the show today. So, Mari, give us a little bit of a background about uh, a little bit about actually how you started on the podcast, why you're here. And I want to ask a probing question about finances that I feel would be a really good way to start this podcast off. Sure. Well, I started out on the podcast last year, like you said, from the beginning, and it it was through Instagram. I saw that there was a need for a podcast manager. I sent my application, hoping that I could, you know, get selected. I'm like, I don't think that this is going to happen, but God, I'm trusting that <laughs> um, you have the, you know, you're in control. So once I went through the, pro uh, I got a response from Chelsea, shout out to Chelsea. Shout out little mayhem. <laughs> and I was super excited. And after a month, you know, back and forth, we we started communicating and planning and and producing the podcast. And a year later, here we are. Here we are. You are a gift. You are a gift. You are a gift. Again, there would be no podcast without you. So I love and appreciate you. Okay. So when we were dreaming up guests to be on this season, we both discovered that we have a love-hate relationship with Dave Ramsey. And mm -hmm. I love Rachel Cruz, who happens to be his daughter. But can you take me a little bit on your journey and how you know the godfather, Dave Ramsey, and his financial wisdom and guru-ness? Yes. Well, I started following Dave Ramsey about 15 years ago, way back when we were in Texas. And I'm the saver of the house and my husband's a spender. So, and we There's were always, always on, one. There's always yes. one, Maddie. I'm, I'm the spender. Matt's the saver. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> so I'm on team Matt on this, on this one on finances. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted, you know, to, to start a budget and, and get our finances straight. Long story short, we've been out of debt twice, except for the house, of course, you know, because you go through the, the baby steps and we now are almost debt free because we don't have a house anymore, but we do have an RV that that's, you know, our house where nomads, <laughs> but after the second time we got debt free, my hubby decided that he needed to get a, 
birthday present in 2016 and and he bought an a four by four side by side so we're we still have that so that's our like our mini debt but we're still taking the steps to get out of debt again that's okay. our goal so i loved hearing you talk about this because uh i grew up uh, it, well i like to say so poor we would just pull because we couldn't afford the <laughs> or on that so the idea of money was a huge trigger in our family. And for me, not necessarily for my parents, but for me, I just never wanted to be poor. I didn't realize how much anxiety I had around finances. So when I married Matt, uh, he was just so structured and so good with finances. And we both said, hey, we want to live debt-free. We want to be incredibly generous with our finances. And we want Mm -hmm. to build a life that we would love to live when we financially can afford it. And so that sounds good in concept, but then the, the rubber met the road. And mm-hmm. then tried putting me on envelopes. <laughs> Mari, anyone who knows Dave Ramsey knows that he has envelopes allocated with cash and you live off of cash only. Uh, he has this phrase, which I'm going to actually surprise Mari. This is going to be the title of today's podcast. It's act your wage. So um, we have, you have the expression, you know, act your age. Dave Ramsey flipped that and said, act your wage. And I was here for that. I want to be insulted, but it was just too good. It was too good. Right, right. I am very proud to say Matt and I have been married for 10 years and we have been debt free for the last four years. We have credit cards, but we just use them in our favor. We pay them off immediately. We do not live above our means. Matt's car is car is completely paid off. And I am so grateful for the freedom that I feel because we are debt free. It allows us to be generous. Now we're still on a budget and times are tough, you know, all that other stuff, but Mm -hmm. it allows us to be generous and it allows us to have, to not be owned by man, to not be owned by credit cards. What has your financial freedom felt to you? Oh girl, it was amazing. I mean, to be debt free twice, except for the house was I, uh, we did the three, two, one freedom, uh, shout at home you we did call Dave. yes well we didn't call Dave Ramsey for it but we did it at home <laughs> <laughs> and yes we I, I love like Dave Ramsey says live like no one else so later you can live like no one else right mm. so we yeah we're blessed right now because we are crazy and we both started our own businesses it's a different kind of budget with mm-hmm. uh with the business side of it but it's our goal again to to become debt free and and just where we where we want it to head. When I was growing up, I was what you call the maceta, you know, stingy. <laughs> <laughs> I I've always loved to save, even though Angel and I are different in that in that he's the spender and and I'm the saver. He's always supported the budget, and you know we still uh, can rub heads some sometimes, but it worked out. I love it. I love it. Okay. So before we dive into this interview with Rachel Cruz, I feel like context is super important. So as a daughter of a a church planter, as a daughter of a church leader, I always said, I'm never going to be in ministry. And I know that Rachel has also said certain things like, I'm glad that's for my dad. It's not for me. And yet Rachel has come out to be a voice for my generation. I so appreciate what she says. I appreciate her wisdom. One of my favorite things to do is follow her on Instagram because her memes are hilarious and her content is true. But sometimes when I read her posts, I just want to throw my phone. Like, Rachel, get out of my mail. Get out of my bank account. I don't like you right now, Rachel. And sometimes we just need those clairvoyant voices to remind us of the power that money has. 
over ourselves. You know, for those that are of faith or maybe no scripture, and if you're not totally fine, because money is funny, but we all deal with it, is there's a scripture reference that says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. So I think if we understand that money can be our friend and not our foe, if we learn how to steward it and not be stingy or wasteful or extravagant, then we can use our, our finances, not just for financial freedom, but to build the kingdom of God as well. And so, Madi, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your truth. I'm so excited that we get to not just to introduce the podcast audience to you, but to introduce the podcast audience to one of my favorite people, Rachel Cruz. So with that, I hope you enjoy the podcast and can't wait to share some parting thoughts at the end. Rachel, welcome so much to the podcast. I'm so excited that I get to interview you because I feel like I've been able to watch you from afar. We've connected a few times. We've had dinner a few times, but now I get to pepper you with questions and basically it's like I get financial planning to share with the world and I'm like here for it. Now, in the introduction for the podcast, all the podcast listeners know, know um, how we met and a little bit of why I'm low-key obsessed with you, but then low-key dislike you at the same time because you make me mindful of my budget and money. Now, we're going to get into a lot of what's been on your plate, but this is um, what I love to do. For people who might not know you, I love to give them a um, non-professional side of you. So um, I'm going to just pepper you with two questions and then we'll dive into more of the serious topics because, you know, we're trying to be serious up in here. I love it. I love it. But first and foremost, tell, little, tell our podcast listeners like where you are from and the thing that you're passionate about. Yes, I am from Nashville, actually born and raised in Nashville and live here still, which is, I'm like a unicorn because in Nashville, <laughs> everyone's from everywhere else. Like no one's from Nashville, but I am. I'm the, I'm the OG, I will say. And yeah, I mean, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but for sure, work-wise, helping people with their money. I do have a passion for helping people get in control of their money because for so many people, their money just controls them. And so getting them in that place, I love, I'm passionate about good food. I'm passionate about sleep training babies. I'm, pa I'm passionate about a couple things, but the money, the money piece is big. <laughs> okay. And I'm glad that we're mentioning money piece, but here's the thing. I did my research. I listened to your podcast and one of your most recent podcasts, you said that you weren't gifted in this area, but you wish you were. And you said, that's what I've always wanted to do. Do you know what I'm talking about? Singing. Ah! <laughs> yes, it is. So here's the thing. Surprise, you get to bring your gift and anointing to the podcast today. You get to sing for us. Totally kidding. No, Everything no, no, I wanted, no. Bianca. No, I, no, I will not. I will not. I will mute my microphone and I'll there look you like go. I'm singing via video. And you'll be like, and we'll dub over. Presence. Yes, yes, yes. No, I, I love that that's like your secret passion because I too, like low key, I wish, like my heart's desire is to sing like Whitney Houston and Adele. Like heart's <sighs> desire. Uh, the Lord may be passionate about teaching his word and talking. So, I mean, it's a give and take. So okay. With you. So, um, you did mention that you're passionate about money. We're going to get into a little bit of like your backstory and your book, but if there's one crazy expenditure, you're so good with money and I know budgeting and envelopes, the whole thing. But if there's one crazy expenditure that you would do and money was not an option and it, you can, it's an expenditure you could do or buy, what would it be? Money's not an option. There's oh. no budget. What would it be? no budget and I could just buy it oh girl I'd go private plane <laughs> <laughs> I love it okay good so Get here's there. the thing whatever I want I don't do security I don't have, to have connections yes I yes. go straight <laughs> okay I'm an Enneagram 7 so the idea of saving money 
it like pains me. Like it's like a four letter word and it's not love. Okay. But I think that this is a good segue because you came out with this new book, know yourself, know your money. And I don't like plugging things. This is not a shameless plug. I love listeners to walk away with something that they weren't aware of. And Mm. there's so many books about money and saving and all this other stuff. But one of the things that I love about you, and like I said, kind of hate sometimes (laughs) is that you make me mindful of my money. In fact, I love, um, I have a love hate relationship with your Instagram account because your, your gifts, gifs, what are we calling them? I don't know, but they're so convicting to me. And sometimes I just want to throw my phone when I read your post because it's so true and I just don't want to hear it. But tell me a little bit about, which dovetails into your passion about finance and people getting right with their money. Um, talk to me about your new book and kind of like the why behind the what. Yes. Well, for gosh, almost 10 years now, I've been teaching about the how to's of money. So Mm -hmm. how to budget, how to invest, how to get out of debt, how to give, how, how, how. And I started probably, gosh, maybe four years ago, three years ago. I remember just diving in just to myself, right? So like I took the Enneagram and I was like, what? Wait, what's your Enneagram number? I'm a three. I'm your sister. Of course. Yes. I'm three wing four. Yes. I'm not surprised. I'm not so surprised. Crazy. So crazy. So I remember doing that. I read the book, The Birth Order, because I'm a middle oh, yeah. child. Okay. I was in counseling. I mean, like, and there was no big event that sent all of this. It just kind of, it, it just springboarded into all this stuff. And I remember thinking, I'm learning so much about myself. Mm-hmm. And in that process, I remember thinking, okay, so how could this apply to my money? Because this is what I do for a living. And it was like this black hole of all this information. I thought, there is so much here. Because I talk about how personal finance, it's 80% behavior. It's only Mm -hmm. 20% head knowledge. So knowing what to do, the how-to, is easy to understand. But to actually implement it and do it is really, really difficult. It's really hard. And so focusing on that behavior and why we have the behaviors we have, why we do the things we do, it's like foundational. It's so key. And I just had never really dug into that. And I remember seeing things and reading things and discovering and talking to people. And I just thought this has to be my next book. So that's what kind of birthed Know Yourself, Know Your Money. I love it because I feel like the psychological aspect of money and this very interesting integrated relationship that we have with our upbringing is so interestingly correlated to like how we view money now. So we're coming out of 2020 just so that you know, this is season two of the podcast in all integrity for the podcast listeners. I'm pre-recording this episode with Rachel because it, it worked out with the calendar, but this is what I will say coming out of 2020. I think it was really hard for me personally, like business completely imploded everything from book tours to traveling to book sales. Everything was gone and in full candor and disclosure, I had to lay off staff Mm. I, I really forced me to question what what am I doing with my life? What am I doing yeah. in this season? And it's 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 hard to talk about even now today because it it I didn't realize how integrated it was my with my childhood. So I grew up extremely poor. And so what might have felt like a, a few canceled events or a book tour that didn't happen or fill in the blank to some really set me a nerve like I Mm. was unsettled in addition to the fact like we lost our church building so there was like crisis on crisis but so much was intertwined with how I viewed money as a child and what I loved about your book is that you take us through money classrooms so for those that haven't read the book but will read the book after this can you break down money classrooms? Because it, it was like, it, it literally shook me reading it because it made so much sense. Mm. Well, yeah. So your classroom growing up was your household. I mean, that's where you learned the lessons about life, lessons you wish you could probably unlearn some of those, some lessons you take with you into adulthood. And so 
as I was really studying and figuring this out with specifically money, I realized, yeah, money's communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally and it's communicated emotionally. Right. And with that, I was like, oh, there's a graph. I'm like, Jesus gave me a quadrant and I'm so <laughs> happy about this. And so it does, it creates these kind of four money classrooms. So the first money classroom is the anxious money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed and emotionally stressed. So if you grew up in this classroom, you felt the, the tension of money. You never really knew it, put your finger on it because it was never talked about. But maybe towards the end of the month, if bills were due, it just, you felt the stress. Classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally stressed. So lots of tension, but you heard it. You heard money fights, maybe between your parents or with extended family. It was conflict and you knew about it. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed and emotionally calm. So if you grew up in this classroom, you probably didn't think much about money at all because it wasn't talked mm -hmm. about, but there wasn't tension around it. And then when you got off on your own, it was like, oh, wow, I have to learn this subject on my own. Okay, I got to figure this out. And then classroom number four, it's the healthiest money classroom. And this is the stable money classroom. And I'm sorry, the secure money classroom. And this is where it's emotionally calm and verbally open. So you have plans around money, control over money, but it's talked about. They're, you know, your parents didn't shy away from it. And so those are kind of the four quadrants of what that makes up. But each one of them has some downsides. And so to realize you either mirror a lot of what your parents did growing up and how they viewed it, or some people had this visceral reaction where they just did the complete opposite and they just went to the other side. And so you kind of have to figure out for your own, but it's important to go back and name, okay, this is kind of the environment I grew up in and make those connections for yourself of the right. habits you have and the way you view money today, how it came from your household growing up. So there's a lot to unpack here. And I think that you made a complicated issue really simple. And those are my favorite type of communicators. So let's kind of outwork this. I grew up in an anxious money classroom where, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't know that we were poor until somebody at church told us that we were poor. Oh, no way. You know, I yes. had a very happy upbringing. Like we had a very fun house. It was loud. There was music. And I didn't realize that we were eating poor people food and food from donation boxes. I just, you know, had no clue. And it wasn't until I got older that I became cognizantly aware of the fact that we were poor, financially strapped. There was money mismanagement, but we never really spoke about it. And mm. it was kind of, it wasn't mismanagement for irresponsibility. It yeah. was money mismanagement because like my parents, my, my dad lost his job and we had to move and the house foreclosed. So now with, with that kind of like understanding of an anxious money classroom, what would that, how would that manifest in my life now as an adult and how I view money? Cause I want, I want our listeners to know, like knowing that how you grew up is one thing, but how does it manifest itself as you, you get older? Yes. Well, the communication side, people that grew up in the anxious money classroom, there's almost this tension of avoidance of, they don't want to talk about it. They know they should but they don't even know how to verbalize it. They don't understand. You don't know me. They get you don't know me. Yeah. So it's like, there wasn't even the, even the vernacular around money wasn't even there. So it's like, right. you, you don't even have the tool set to be, to begin to even name the emotions you have around money and making that connection to even, Hey, I feel, I don't like that. My spouse bought that, but I don't even know how to engage that conversation. Right. I mean, like there's mm -hmm. that because you just never saw it happen. So that's a big part of it. And then the stress, I think that sometimes people that grew up in an anxious money classroom, they just equate money and stress that there's going to be this level of tension always there. And there really can't be a level of freedom with money. There can't be a level of freedom. No. I mean, there's always going to be tension and stress around money. It's like this assumption. So that's, that's what I see a lot coming out of that classroom. Yeah. Number one. 
Okay, so this is like, I, listen, for everyone listening, this was not a setup. I had no idea what she was going to say, but I just feel very exposed. Okay, <laughs> I feel like you read my mail and I'm annoyed. This is why I have a just love hate relationship with you. We'll just have I a know. session right We're now. We're having a session. <laughs> Free therapy, guys. Free therapy. Okay, so I love that this is the transition because when I was about to get married to my now husband, Matt, this was 10 years ago. We've been married for 10 years. Uh, we in the wedding planning process. He set out a budget and a budget to me felt like restraint, not just because I'm an, an Enneagram seven, but I, I realized my, my dad specifically wanted to shield us from the weight of knowing mm, what we yes. didn't have. If you ever saw life is beautiful, La Dolce Vita with, um, it's an Italian film yeah. and it, it sets a precedence of like the Holocaust. And there's this Italian dad that's just trying to make everything seem okay, even though it's going to hell in a handbasket. Yes. That's my upbringing uh. so when matt's matt and he's of german descent and his his dad is an accountant his sister's an accountant we have the budgets <laughs> for the budgets for the budget so taking someone from a very anxious classroom to someone who from to a very like secure classroom was fireworks in uh. fact he went through financial peace university which might as well been another four-letter word because when <laughs> my husband told me we had to use envelopes and cash i was like what is this 1905 like, <laughs> what, are we boarding the titanic right now <laughs> what is happening <laughs> so i say all of that because if we are unaware of how uh, our childhood and our upbringing and how finances really affect like our life it makes us unaware on how to handle communication now yes. okay so I say, I, I say all of this because you talk about seven, I took notes, uh, seven major money tendencies that we have. Now we're not going to go through all seven and you can pick two or I can throw out two to you, but I think it's important just for language to have us understand like what would our money tendencies look like now? Yes. Well, there's seven of them, like you said, and neither mm -hmm. one's right or wrong. Now the extremes of each of these can get unhealthy. And so that's what I don't want. I don't want extremes of each tendency, but they're not right or wrong. And that's what I like about the section of the book is I'm like, because sometimes there is some black and white issues with money that I feel conviction on. This is not, this is just your natural wiring, either personality or how you're raised, but it's just your visceral reaction to like, this is what it is. So one tendency, for instance, is safety or status. So this is why Oof. you want money. So why do you want money? For some people, it's safety. I just want to feel safe. I want to know that everything's going to be okay if something happens. Now, for safety people on the extreme side, it gets unhealthy because they base a lot of decisions on fear. They don't want to risk things. They kind of hold money tightly. And that's that's not the that's not the healthy side of it. Now the mm -hmm. status side, which is me, but I want money <laughs> because I want to do things with it. It's like a budget, like you said. I didn't. I hate. I hated budgets for so long, until I realized, okay, it's just permission to spend. And so for me, I make money and handle money well, so that I can have fun, so that mm -hmm. I can go on a great trip, so that I can drive a fun car, whatever it is. Like that's why I choose to budget so that I can spend eventually, but do it within limits and boundaries. Now, the unhealthy side of that status is that our accomplishments, our stuff becomes our identity and all we live for. Mm. And that's unhealthy. We don't want that. But to know why you want to win with money is really interesting and important. And especially if you're married, because both mm. spouses could be going at it two totally different ways, but to be able just to verbalize it, neither one's right or wrong, but to know here's my motivation for why I want to win. You know, what's so special. Even this conversation is using going back to like wedding planning and the budget and all that other stuff. To me, it felt like restriction. It felt like no, it felt like it, it what it really did was trigger this feeling of poor, like I can't. And I didn't have the language to articulate. I didn't have uh, the experience to kind of understand why I was bucking against the system. And my husband or my fiance at the time was just like, listen, a budget will help us do fun things. 
And when he just made it plain, like I, I was homeschooled. I need things plain, girl. <laughs> so when he made it plain, like if we pay off this, we can have fun. You want to have these fancy vacations? Well, let's do points. Let's you be strategic about how we're spending saving. So oh. I think that this book provides so much language, especially for those in their 20s and 30s, married or not married. For I mean, sure. All of this is completely important in how we steward what God has given us well. And That's so right. I don't want to get too theological here, but God has given us money to steward and we can steward that well. So I want to kind of, as we like wrap this up shortly, in chapter 12, you talk about giving. So you had mentioned in the your last of your 2020, yeah, chapter 12, what motivates you to give money. But in your 2020 podcast for uh, your own podcast, the Rachel Cruz Show, you mentioned that 2020 was a great year because we got to pay off a lot of our credit cards. It, it really drove down national debt, which is beautiful. But did you see this inverse relationship? If, if we're paying off credit cards, was there also an increase in giving? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if there's a stat or a study around that specifically, but I do know, especially people of faith, that giving is a, is a big part of their walk and what they long to do. Mm -hmm. uh, there is naturally going to be a mathematical advantage to give. Like when you don't have debt and your income comes in, you have no payments, then you have the ability to give more. You have the ability to save more. Yeah. You have the ability to do things you want to do with it. And it's a powerful thing. I mean, giving is one of these concepts specifically around money that I think is so beautiful because the things in life that we spend money on that we just think are going to make us happy, right? Like the stuff, yeah. the experiences and all that is good. I'm not mad at stuff. I think you can have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. But there is no joy. There is nothing like giving. When you are able to help someone that is in need, when you're able to buy a single mom a new car and you just give it to her. I mean, the things like that in life, like it gives you butterflies and adrenaline unlike anything else. And it's an amazing thing. And I really do believe with people of faith, I mean, I'm like, listen, God is the biggest giver of us all. And if we're created in his image, we're created to be givers. And when you're giving, it's like the heart of God is in you and flowing through you. You're like, being part of how he created you. And it's such a beautiful thing. But the hard thing is 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency. So most people listening, you know, are thinking, I have student loan debt, Rachel. Like, I have credit right. cards, debt, I have car loans. Like, I don't have anything to give. So I really would encourage people, no matter where you are financially, I always encourage you to give. Give something. Mm -hmm. Give a little until you can give a lot. Because when giving is not a habit in your life and you get more money, it's not going to automatically become a habit. Right. It's not. So start little. Be faithful with the little. And as you get more than that, you're going to be able to grow more and more. And that's the, again, that's the misnomer of, oh, if I just had more money, I would give. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes it's not a math problem. Sometimes it's a heart <laughs> problem, right? Like, is Comcast getting paid? Right. But you're not getting, you know what I mean? You, I mean, see, right. I'm, like, I'm really big on it. But I really am because... It, it, it releases so much of life and joy, and I don't think we experience that enough. And so I'm so big on giving. So I think that um, when we kind of think about uh, the power of giving, the impact of giving, and the ability to give, I think the beautiful thing about not just you and your words, but your family, and for those that don't know, I'm, I don't know if this is a, if, if this is a private thing or not I don't think that it is but for those that don't know Dave Ramsey is your dad and I mentioned uh, envelope system financial peace university that's so much of your dad's brainchild and so much of what really he's poured into the lives of people to allow them to be debt-free 
I just want to say thank you for doing this for my generation and mm. our generation because it changed my husband's life mm. and it allowed us now to be completely debt free. We tore up credit cards. We, our cars are paid off and we are able to be incredibly generous. Mm. So the words that you're saying aren't just black letters on a white page. They really are making an impact. And so we have this crazy goal of one day living, um, you know, if, if you have a faith background, we talk about like giving back to God, what is his. And so it's like 90, you keep 90, we give 10, it's called a 10th in the biblical, in the b- biblical terms. But like, we want to inverse that. We want to live off of 10 and oh, give wow. 90. And so we are at, I think, I don't want to make this up, but I think we're at either 15 or 16% of giving wear income. And it's a sacrifice, mm. but we really feel passionately about mm. living debt-free and to be able to be more generous. We want to be blessed to be a blessing. And so when I say thank you, I'm also saying thank you to your history. And mm. the last question I want to leave with is this concept of legacy. Your dad has done so much and you are following in suit. But if you would want to impart something to your children, and to be honest, my children, because your dad's impacted how I'm raising my two stepkids, <laughs> what would that what would that be? If you can think about the legacy that you want to leave mm. as an Enneagram three, what would you love to impart to my generation and the following generation? Yeah, I mean, I would say you touched on it earlier, but taking stewardship, which is management, seriously. And to say, okay, I have been given a certain amount in my income every month or whatever it is, and I want to manage it well. Because I think when you manage it well and you don't go deeply in debt, you're not stressed about it, it doesn't become this, this stress point or God or idol in your life, and you genuinely see it as an open hand, it just won't change your life because money's a tool. I want you to have fun with it. You can enjoy it. It's great. But again, it can change so many other people's lives. Mm-hmm. It really, really can. And the earlier you start this, the better off you're going to be. Like if you are 20 in your 20s right now listening, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you can do this. You can do this because it's, it's just so powerful when you decide to make a change. And if you're not happy with the situation you're in right now, you have to have hope that, okay, I can change. I can actually make a different Mm -hmm. decision where this thing doesn't keep me up at night, that this thing is, this money situation is keeping me in a job I hate and I'm not able to go do what I feel like God's calling me to do. I mean, all of this stuff, that can be so freed up, but you have to make that choice to decide to change. I want to say thank you for writing this book. Um, it really, I'm not even kidding you. We, I've, I've wanted to do a podcast with you since season one. I mean, we're only in season two, but, um, <laughs> uh, but the thing that I am just so excited about is that this book put language around feelings that I was feeling in 2020 mm. and it prepared me to financially have language to share with my family, my staff, my team, and even my church about how I want to manage money. And got, it has allowed me to have vision for 2021, not from a place of fear, but from a place of great faith and generosity. So I can't recommend this book more. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for the sacrifice because writing a book is like birthing a baby. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and effort and you want everyone to think it's cute. I just want to let you know, your book baby is cute, baby. It is cute. Okay, you're the best. You're the best. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. And side note, side note, guys, you have to check out her podcast because she just interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I mean, Come on, come on. I'm, re- I'm ready for the episode. So I can't wait to listen to it. Um, all of the show notes will include how to find Rachel, reach out to Rachel, as well as ways to swipe up and buy her book on Amazon. Rachel, thank you for being on the show. I love and appreciate you. And I can't wait to treat you to dinner uh, in Nashville. Oh, so thankful for you, friend. You're doing awesome work. Thanks. Thanks so much.
Let's get real friends. No one likes talking about money or money issues. But if we do, I'm so grateful that we got to spend time in learning from one of the financial industry's best. To follow Rachel online, you can follow her at Rachel Cruz. Her last name is spelled C-R-U-Z-E. And to get your hands on her copy, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, you can find out Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and Target, or anywhere else that fine books are sold. To make sure that we are thanking all of our guests, will you do me a favor and tag at Rachel Cruz and at Bianca Oltoff? This is what I want to hear you say. Before we started, I was like, okay, Bianca, I got to tell you something that just happened to me right now in life. And low-key, I'm totally jealous, okay? Girl, totally jealous. I was more nervous for that interview than I think in an interview I've done. I did Good Morning America this morning for the book, and I was like, I think I'm more nervous talking to Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so and leave a loving, positive review. Two lucky winners will receive a copy of Rachel's new book. I can't wait to put it in your hands. In addition to camp being able to wait, I'm so excited for next week's episode. It's with one of my favorite people. Can't wait to see you online or on the podcast because we're going there. Thank you.